0: Welcome to the Award Travel 101 podcast. My name is Jeff Brownson, and I'm your host. My full-time job is managing the Award Travel 101 Facebook group. That group is made up of over 60,000 people who travel the world using miles and points. Our group members not only love to learn about award travel, but they are happy to share, teach, and help others learn to travel the world on any budget. This podcast not only gets into the details of award travel and using miles and points, but it also takes a look at my life running a Facebook group full-time and the lives of our members as they travel the world. Before we get into this week's episode, here's a word from our sponsor. The Award Travel 101 podcast is brought to you by Thrifty Traveler Premium, over 80 international flight deals a month delivered right to your inbox. Never miss a cheap flight or a mistake fare again. Sign up today for free at thriftytraveler.com AT101. Thanks so much to everyone for joining me on this first episode of the Award Travel 101 podcast that I'm actually hosting. Although I took the group over, the Award Travel 101 Facebook group, uh, a few weeks ago, actually around mid-July, I started working with that. The timing couldn't have been worse, and I had an overseas trip for a couple of weeks scheduled. So a big thanks to Ed Pizzarello for taking over for those three weeks and getting episodes out there so we weren't just uh, didn't go dark for those three weeks and we did have some content coming out to you but I'm back in the country now and I should be able to get some things recorded so when I travel from this point out we're not going to be having as many guests hosts and you should be hearing from me pretty much every week. So for this first episode with me in control I thought What better than to introduce you to my beautiful wife, Chrissy, the new Mrs. Award Travel 101. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, her background, uh, vacation we just got back from, and a few other things about miles and points and all that kind of fun stuff. So welcome, Chrissy, and thanks so much for joining me.
1: I'm excited to be here and to record my first podcast.
0: So let's get right into it. Uh, People know a little bit about me from the original episode I did with Richard and from seeing me around the group for the past couple of weeks, but they know almost nothing about you because you haven't been really heavily involved in the miles and points world. You have been a traveler for a long time. So let's talk a little bit about your travel background. When did you first get into traveling?
1: Well, when I was in high school, I went on a mission trip to Zimbabwe where I met this dreamy guy that many years later I got to marry but that really sparked my love for international travel. The following year, I went on a similar trip to China in the late 90s, and at that point, I switched my desired major in college from biochemistry to international communications.
0: So it's probably not a huge spoiler for people to hear that I was that dreamy guy. I'm not sure that's the quite the proper way to describe me, but thank you for that. And we got married just after college, and we did a little bit of travel after that. We didn't have a a ton of money for traveling. We hadn't discovered how to travel for much less with our credit card points and miles and points. And then once we had kids, we started traveling a little bit more. I kind of discovered this world, and we've been traveling the world since then. How many countries have you been to at this point?
1: This year has been an extraordinary year for international travel for me, so I hit six or seven new countries this year, so I'm up to 44.
0: 44, okay, so that's, it's, you're a little behind me because I go on things that you call my walkabouts, where I, I disappear for a little bit and leave you and the kids at home, and people always wonder how I get away with that, so thank you very much for letting me do that. But the reason that I can do that is my schedule is a little bit more flexible because you're a teacher. So you have you have to be in the classroom for most of the school year and conveniently at the same time as the kids. And I don't have to do that. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about your background in teaching. It's not something that you just got into. You've been doing it for a while and kind of how you ended up going from that major in international communications into the world of teaching.
1: After college, I got a job in the international communications field in Manhattan. And while that job was cool in theory, I didn't love it and decided to leave it when 9-11 happened. I left the World Trade Center 15 minutes before the first plane hit. And after that, my commute was about three hours each way. And we hated living in Northern Jersey. And so both of us quit our jobs right after September 11th, which was not a great time to find a new career.
0: No, the economy was not thriving at that point. And it was, I, I mean, it was a good decision and it's worked out well for us, but it was maybe not the best decision at that time if you looked at it as a whole.
1: So we moved to upstate New York, which was halfway between our families, and I got a job substitute teaching and absolutely fell in love with it. And from that point on, I got a master's in elementary education and have had worked and have worked with pre-kindergarten kiddos, the Head Start kids, just starting out. And then I taught in a middle school for several years and then landed in a fourth grade position where I taught science and social studies and renewed my love for science and the natural world and getting kids excited about learning about the world around them. And once I started doing that, I got a second master's degree in teaching middle school science. And when we moved here to Northern Virginia, I worked with gifted students in teaching all subjects, but really science is my jam. So I was really excited last year to have the opportunity to move schools, and now I am a STEAM Lab teacher And for those of you that think maybe I'm running a sweatshop, I'm not. STEAM stands for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. So I teach all 950 students at my school engineering design. And each time they come into the STEAM lab, they get a new challenge and they work together in collaborative groups and try and solve the problem. For example, I might give them 20 pasta noodles and two feet of masking tape, and they have to build the biggest tower that they can. So I have the coolest job in the world.
0: And you've been teaching for how long at this point?
1: 18 years.
0: 18 years. Over over the course of that, from starting in the preschool, uh, you may have, listeners, you may have noticed in there that she picked up two master's degrees along the way which is two more master's degrees than I have so my wife is definitely more educated than me and if you spend any time with the two of us you'll realize that but teaching has become a part of your life and it's it kind of hard for you to not teach anywhere you go how are you combining teaching and travel especially it's it's interesting and I think a lot of people struggle with that whether they're, they're taking their kids out of school or they want their kids to learn something on vacation and I think that's something that you're very good at in making sure that not just the kids but myself or your family on this trip learn something while they go. What's your view on that or how do you how do you try to link that? teaching with the trip and then and make it enjoyable for everyone
1: part of it is innate because it's my job you find that you're doing it all the time our youngest is 12 years old and he often teases me that i'm not able to turn off my teaching gene but I, along with loving being a teacher, I love being a learner. I'm passionate about learning new things and excited when we go into a new culture to pick up as much information from my travels as we're able to. And so I found as I'm planning trips to look for things that are enjoyable for each member of the family, but that also while we're doing fun things, that we're able to pick up new information that often transfers place to place. We might learn about a migratory species in the rainforest of Costa Rica, and then we're able to compare that to a similar species that we see on safari in South Africa. And that's been really rewarding, and I've loved seeing how our kids pick up the cultures and the different places we are. Our youngest is A super physical hyper stereotypical ADHD boy and yet on the flip side he really enjoys going to art museums and has favorite artists and really has since he was four or five and it's really rewarding for me to see that we can develop different facets in our kids
0: And you don't, when it comes to the education, you don't just end that with the people on the trip, but you're known, especially with friends of ours and friends of mine have have started um, to become friends with you on Facebook because of these amazing Facebook posts that you do each day of our travels. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about how you put those together and kind of what your goal is in doing those posts?
1: So when I learn new things to keep it to myself seems selfish, and so I want to, and I'm excited about it, honestly, so I want to share what we've learned and what we've done that day with the world, and so after every day of vacation, I really enjoy looking back at what we did that day, looking through the pictures on my phone. I am not the amazing photographer that Jeff is, but I can take a proficient picture that tells the story. and combining what the pictures of what we did that day with the facts that we've learned I gather the the information from guides from reading information at the places and I am in love with guidebooks so I have a guidebook for almost every destination we visit now like many people I also spend hours and hours researching online and will include snippets in our itineraries that I take with us and can share with our family. But I recognize that there are people that spend their lives becoming experts in that part of the world or in that little niche that we're looking at, be it the indigenous name of the mountains and trees and animals in a place to the food that we're eating, or we all love wildlife vacations where we can see animals. And so learning information about the animals and their habitats and their behaviors, being able to take that information and then put it in a post to send out to the world to share with Our family and friends, um, it's a way for our families to almost be with us on vacation. And also, I love Facebook memories and how... It can show me where we were three years ago or five years ago and almost relive that day of travel because I took the time to include so many pictures and facts.
0: And I think one of the best parts about those posts for me is that you tag me in those posts so I get those same Facebook memories and my friends can see the same things, but I didn't do any of the work to put it together because it really, it really is a lot of work. And often when we're on vacation, we'll be tired when we get back and you sit down to do it. And about how long does it take you to put together one of those posts with, I don't know, 20 or 25 pictures?
1: This summer I timed myself a couple different times. And it takes about an hour to put together one of those posts with all the information. Because when I add the information in, I want to make sure that I'm being hundred percent factual. So often I will look back at a guidebook or a brochure that we got that day, or even do a quick internet search to make sure that the information that I'm reporting is correct. And I'll have to bounce questions off of family members. What did that guide say? Or what was the name of this dish to make sure that what I'm reporting is real?
0: So we're gonna take that a little bit farther, or you're going to take that a little bit farther. And this isn't something that is out there for people to find yet, but we'll give a little bit of a teaser in that you're, you're going to launch your very own travel blog based on educational travel and teaching while you travel. And what, what is the name of that going to be?
1: It's called Gallivanting Teacher. And the idea is that because I'm teaching all over the world and we are fortunate to travel extensively every year, that I'm able to share with my travels Beyond just my Facebook friends,
0: and that'll be exciting. It's something that has been a little bit of a challenge, and we're we're kind of working together to get that launched. I, I've been blogging and freelance writing and doing these kind of things for years, but you've never really had much. I don't want to say input on it, but much. You haven't looked at the back end of things. You've looked at some of the posts that are done, and uh, now you're starting to realize that there's a lot more that goes into it than just writing up something and throwing it up online. And I think a lot of people who don't haven't designed a blog and haven't put it together and haven't done all the back end of things don't realize how much work goes into those but I think seeing your or hearing how you spend an hour just on a facebook post to get an idea of how much time and effort you're going to put into the blog I think it'll be something that'll be quite interesting especially those who are, are traveling and trying to learn something as they go will really enjoy that I'll definitely be putting out some information on that when that gets launched here on the podcast and probably in the award travel 101 Facebook group too But let's transition a little bit now from, we talked about your Facebook posts, and most recently you got a a lot of good reaction on those from our latest trip, which was a trip to South Africa, which it, it kind of came about in an odd way. And I've had, as I posted pictures of it, I've had a lot of people ask me, like, how did you book this? What miles and points did you use? And we'll get to that in a little bit. But I can tell you right off, I didn't use any miles and points to book it at all. Because the way it originally started, there was a Kenya Airways mistake fair to Nairobi. And I booked it, I think it was the middle of the night. I was up late for some reason. And I booked the mistake fair for myself and for you and then our kids. And then I booked another one for myself with friends. And then the next morning you said, hey, can you add my family onto that? And I said, sure. And I did it. And then I think you went to work. And when you came home from work, I said, by the way, don't tell your family because there's a good chance this will get... Cancelled and you had already told your sister and your dad right. Which which means everybody in the family knew and sure enough Kenya Airways canceled the fair and We were all sad, but the next time we saw your dad He said hey, uh, what if we just went anyway? And what if I just paid for the trip and we could go and we could we could look into doing a safari on our own? And it just kind of ballooned from there Um I I mean, we're not going to get into the numbers of what it cost, but I'm very thankful that your dad did very well throughout his life and and has a decent amount of money and could afford to take us on a trip like this. We had eight people total. Um, It was you, me, our two boys, your dad, your sister, her husband, and her oldest uh, son, who is 30 years old. So not really a kid anymore, but an adult. So it it was a bunch of us, and that's a whole lot of airfare and a whole lot of safari and a whole lot of hotel. So it got kind of pricey. But take us through an overview of the the trip as a whole, because you do most of the planning. I get I get the airfare done and I take care of cars usually and I take care of booking the lodging after some suggestions from you, but you do all the on the ground planning.
1: So with our trips, you plan the macro of the trip, and then I plan the micro. And so this trip was one of our more challenging trips to plan. I think other than the micro planning of Cuba, this was our second toughest to plan because there's not information out there i'm used to being able to go online and get a lot of information and piece through that to find what i really want to do in a place and i found i had to research much harder than usual and go to a lot of first person experiences of friends that had been there or i asked you to put things on twitter and online so thank you travel community for your suggestions for our trip Also, I had to customize this trip for our extended, my extended family, which is a totally different ballgame. They are not travelers. And so while I'm very good at focusing a trip around what our family enjoys and meeting our family's needs on a trip to look at expanding that for older travelers and those that aren't as adept at moving through the hardships of physically traveling that far away and adjusting to a completely different culture presented some challenges
0: to give you an idea of some of those challenges jet lag was kind of a new thing for them your dad had done it years ago when you were in college but uh, a few of the other family members hadn't didn't really know what that was going to be like um your dad brought a discover card with him which people who travel a lot know doesn't really work outside of America. It doesn't work in a lot of places in America, but he didn't know that, and we didn't think to mention that to him. So there there were some little hiccups in the planning and in the execution of that because they weren't experienced travelers, and we just assumed some things. I think your dad brought the biggest suitcase I've ever seen. I don't I still don't know what he had in that thing, but it was I think 62 pounds and it was ginormous. And of course our family showed up with just our carry-on bags. So it was it was a wide variety there.
1: I absolutely could have fit in that suitcase.
0: Yeah, I think I I might have been able to fit in that suitcase. It was we definitely could have fit the kids in there. You would have fit, your sister would have fit, uh Jeremiah would have fit. So I think at least five out of the seven of us would have fit in that suitcase if we needed to ship one of us home.
1: So in talking to the family about what their priorities were for South Africa and what they really wanted to see, my brother-in-law, Sean, absolutely wanted to dive with great white sharks. And for years, that was available very close to Cape Town, which was where we were flying into. But as I researched it, oddly, there has been an orca predation where the orcas have come in and they are eating out only the livers of the great white sharks, little Hannibal Lecter there. And so the great white sharks have left the area uh, in around Cape Town and they've headed out towards Mosel Bay. And so we made the decision to travel all the way to Cape Town with a long layover in Doha and then rent cars and drive out to Mosel Bay, where we were guaranteed pretty much to see great white sharks when we did our cage diving.
0: And that's about a four-hour drive from Cape Town, for those of you doing the math. So we flew from Washington, D.C. to Doha, and then we did a city tour in Doha, and then took another red eye from Doha to Cape Town and then picked up the cars and then drove four hours to the first place we were staying. So it was a, a a long couple of days of travel, especially for those that weren't really used to that kind of thing.
1: So our purpose in going out there was to cage dive and we did, and it was incredible. If you are shark week lovers, we got to do our cage diving right at Seal Island. It's the one place in the whole world where great whites breach out of the water as they attack seals. And that was our backdrop as we climbed into a cave, which was incredible for the shark nerds among our family. But while we were there, we looked at the other things that were available and could be cool for the family. We had booked a fishing trip, which was, very hard to book over WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. And until hours really before that trip, we weren't sure it was going to happen and it was canceled because of weather. But another cool thing that we ended up doing that was an afterthought that became a highlight of our trip was sandboarding, where you ride snowboards down the biggest sand dunes in Africa. And none of us are snowboarders in the whole family, but all of us found success in doing it and really had a great time.
0: Yeah. And we didn't, I should edit that just a little bit. We didn't ride the snowboard down the biggest sand dune. We did that kind of on the baby dune because they told us if we tried to do that down the big one, we would end up face planting and hurting ourselves really, 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 really bad. So on the really big dunes, we went down kind of on these acrylic or plastic belly boards, Um, but it was, it really was one of the cooler experiences of the trip. And it was neat to be able to, to stand up and go down. And I think I posted a picture or two of myself and the family on the snowboards going down the smaller slope. And then we got to, we could race down the bigger one. We only went down that three or four times because the hike up was brutal. Yeah. Tough to (laughs) say the least, the sun beating down on us. And if, if you're like me and uh, my brother-in-law, we're bigger guys, and you would take a step, and we're climbing basically back up a sand dune. So you would take a step, and then your as you put weight on it, your foot would go down to pretty much where you were. So you almost had to run up it to actually make progress, and it was a bit of a challenge.
1: But we loved Mazel Bay, and then heading back towards Cape Town, we decided to stop for a day in South African wine country. And so we spent a day and night in Franschuk, which, again, we had beautiful weather day. It is winter in South Africa. And so it was a little bit chilly on our other days. But we had one of our warmest, sunniest days when we were out at the wineries in Franschuk. And the whole family really enjoyed that. And then we spent four days exploring what Cape Town had to offer. And then we flew to Hodsbroit.
0: Yeah, I think that's about as close as I could get with pronouncing it. So. <laughs>
1: And from there, we had an incredible safari. Uh, you dream about it your whole life, and it's been on my bucket list. And I know many people's for years and years and years. And it absolutely lived up to the hype. It was an incredible experience. We went adjacent to Kruger. So booking the safari was the most challenging part of the trip. We very much try to book everything by ourselves. We are independent travelers. Jeff especially hates group tours. And so we try and avoid getting on a huge charter bus with 60 of our best new friends.
0: I don't necessarily hate those group tours. I think they have their place and a lot of people are very happy with them. I just don't want to be the one that's on it. So I, th- I think they're fine. They're just not for me.
1: Right. And so we were avoiding that, but found that you can, or it's very difficult. Maybe other people are able to book safaris on their own. Both of us tried and spent hours researching it. And we ended up contacting one lodge that looked interesting. And they gave us the name of a safari company. And we were really happy with the service and help we got through that. And I think we ended up at a magical place.
0: Yeah. And that company, for those that are looking into planning, it was not the cheapest option. And obviously, if you do a self-drive through Kruger and stay at some of the smaller camps there, you can do it for much, much less. But we went through a company called Pride Lodges. And they, we basically sent them the dates that we had available because we still hadn't decided where to go and what days we were going so we sent them the dates of our total trip and they came back and said well these are the four lodges that we have that are within your price range and have availability and these are the dates so we looked through those lodges and kind of organized our trip around that safari and it worked out that we were able to do it at the end of the trip which worked out great because it was a super relaxing last few days to our trip and we like Chrissy said, we could not have been happier with the lodge we were at. It was in the Klessary Reserve, which is right adjacent to Kruger. There are no fences, so it's open land, so the animals that are in Kruger are in the reserve we were in. It's a private reserve and private lodge, and I would happily, happily recommend that to anyone. We ended up having the whole lodge to ourselves. It was a smaller place, and since there were eight of us, that's their capacity. So we had a staff of 11. 11 a staff of 11 just catering to the eight of us while we were there for four days we spent i think seven hours a day seven to eight hours a day out on safari we did a morning and an evening game drive and like you said it was just magical seeing the animals and being right in the middle of all of that
1: and then Our last stop in South Africa was a day in Johannesburg. Because of how the safari timing works out, we did not want to miss one of our game drives. So we weren't able to fly home on the same day that we left our lodge. And so that left us with almost a full day in Johannesburg. And so we took the opportunity to go and see the city that both of us had heard about. We both enjoyed reading about it in Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime. And it was neat to see the places we had read about in the book firsthand. Yeah.
0: And it's when you talk about South Africa, Johannesburg is not a place that people say, yeah, you need to spend three or four days there. It's uh, a big city. It's a gritty city. It's, It's known for crime, sadly. So we, with taking the larger family, we've been to a few places that are a little, I would say, sketchier or dodgy. But we weren't really comfortable with taking your dad or or your sister and her husband as they're not real travelers. They would be a bit more nervous. So we ended up, we did get a a guide for the full day that drove us around in Johannesburg and showed us some places. And I was glad we did that. We learned a ton that day from going to the Apartheid Museum to going to Soweto and seeing the, the different parts of that. Uh, We were able to have lunch there and I got my uh, Soweto gold beer, which you can't get much more local than that. It's, It's brewed right there. So I was happy about that.
1: And we got to tour one of the townships. And so we could see the tin shacks, what it was like inside and what that community is like and actually be able to walk through. And we were led by someone that lives there. So they took us into their actual home and showed us how they get food in the morning and hot water and where the bathroom is and how the structure of the community works and
0: and it was very interesting where we were talking earlier about if we lived or even where i live now i don't know that i would want people touring through my house but the guy who led us through that little tour it was only a 10 or 15 minute tour but he was kind of a i guess a pillar of that community or a leader in that community and he told us about some of the programs they do for the kids with dance lessons and the the tribal dance for their tribes and trying to help them to learn their background and learn how to get out and he said that although it's, it people may look at it as why are you taking people through this this tiny little village i he said anyone who goes through there improves their situation, whether it be that they're buying a few souvenirs as you leave, whether it's the, the money that we tipped him, which in talking to him, I'm sure did not go right into his pocket. I'm sure some of that went back into the community and helping with the kids and helping them get to school and that kind of thing. So he said anyone that comes at tours sees how they're living and it can only help to improve their situation. And then it also... Uh, on the opposite side of things, the people that are living there see these people and kind of see what they can strive towards and what they can look forward to if they uh, continue to work hard and, and move their way out. So it was really kind of enlightening, especially for the kids, to see the the opposite of what we live in, really, the 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 lower income end of the world. So let's talk a little bit now about this the miles and points side of things. I know this is this is what you were looking forward to least in the podcast, because when it comes to earning miles and points, you're happy to spend on the credit cards.
1: I am excellent at spending on credit cards.
0: But you don't really want to do anything else with it. You don't like calling about them. You don't. You don't want to have to think about which credit card to use.
1: I appreciate the benefits and the world travel that I get. And I love having a valet service where I hand you my wallet and you put in the proper credit cards and tell me where and how much to spend on each and send me on my way. It's really the ideal situation.
0: Yeah. So that's, that gives you an idea of how we do miles and points in our family But as far as this trip goes, I mentioned earlier that uh, your dad financed pretty much the whole thing. One great part about that is he understands that I've been doing this for a living for several years, and we really love collecting the points and traveling. So he said, look, I'm going to pay for this whole thing, but if you want to put it on your credit cards, go ahead, and I'll just pay you back. And I got a huge smile on my face and was super excited because we flew eight of us um, w- the airfare was i think around 9500 total for the eight of us to fly in, or for seven of us to fly in economy and then we talked your dad into flying in business class but it was paid business, business class and he f- flew in the Q suites to Doha and on the flight back from Doha to DC was also Q Suites. And I have to say I was super jealous of that because I have not flown that product yet, but he really enjoyed it. But that was another five or 6,000 for that. So it was around 14,000 and then we added in flights within Africa. So those of you that are paying attention can see how this added up really quick to an expensive trip. But all told, I think I put around 17 or $18,000 in flights on my city prestige card at five times point five times the points per dollar so i earned enough points with that that we actually went to french polynesia for spring break and used those points and paid for our lodging and we paid for our flights and that whole vacation really was paid for by booking this vacation so although we didn't use miles and points to get us there, you can, and a lot of people do, uh, fly through Doha and fly that Q Suites product and use points for those flights. Although we didn't do that, we did really concentrate, or I really concentrated on that aspect of earning the miles or earning the points for it, because I knew that that would take us to other places at other times. So that's a kind of I kind of guess a lesson in earning that it doesn't always have to be you're traveling with the points, but if you're not, you should make sure you're maximizing the earn on the money you're spending. And I did that with uh the rental car spending, any hotels we were in. We did mostly Airbnbs, but I, I promise you I I bought gift cards. Uh, at office supply stores and got my five times points on my ink card for that and then used that to book the airbnbs so i really did try to maximize as much as i could how many points we earned from this trip and it it allowed us to take one other vacation which was amazing it was just the two of us in uh, maoria for four nights five nights um over spring break and we got to dive with sharks, and we got to hike, and it was amazing, and it was just because we were able to earn enough points booking this one big family trip. So I guess the moral of the story there is, if you're going to travel, you should either be using or earning points, one or the other. And we try to do as much of both of those as we can. I'll get into a little more of the details of how many points I earned for this vacation. I'll try and get a post up in Award Travel 101 once I kind of get things together. There's there's a lot going on with this transition, and I, I, I have a lot of things on my to-do list. But I will try and get that up there so people can see how you can take a vacation, whether it's work travel or... Uh, whether your job is paying for something or whether your family is paying for something. And if you can earn those points, how you can really maximize that and get another vacation or two for yourself or your family.
1: And I'm happy to answer any questions about the details of South Africa and what we did and how we got there and what we learned while we did it.
0: Yeah, so you can comment uh, on the podcast or you can send your comments over through the Award Travel 101 Facebook group. Or you can keep an eye out for Gallivanting Teacher, the blog, coming soon. And hopefully we'll get that up, and this fall we'll see how bad going back to school is for you and how uh, how much stress there is at that time of year. I have a trip coming up in October, a couple-week trip, and then I've got the Chicago Seminars coming up after that. So hopefully we can get you up and running with the blog before I take off on those several weeks of being Walk in and about. out here. Yes, several weeks of walkabouts. But I think that's uh, all we really wanted to touch base on today. You get kind of an idea of the the real driving force or the mind behind the planning of our family trips. And like I said, I do the the miles and points part, and I book the flights, and I book the the hotels or the lodging and I book the cars and really Chrissy is the one who makes the magic happen and lets us have these amazing vacations. So I wanted to introduce you to her as she'll definitely be a part of Award Travel 101 going forward, probably similar to the way Emily Kerr was and she did a wonderful job of popping in every now and then making fun of Richard and I I assume Chrissy is looking forward to doing that same thing to me.
1: Certainly falls within my skill set.
0: Yes, definitely it does. So I guess I'll close by saying thank you so much for joining me on this uh, first one of my hosted Award Travel 101 podcasts. And uh, I look forward to traveling with you and with our family for many years to come. If you're enjoying the podcast and you aren't a member of our Award Travel 101 Facebook group, head on over to Facebook and change that today. Request to join the group and we'll get you approved as soon as possible, and you'll join over 61,000 people talking about airline miles, hotel points, and credit card rewards, and how we can use those to travel the world for less. That's the Award Travel 101 Facebook group. Join today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little chat with my better half and the new First Lady of Award Travel 101, Chrissy Brownson. She'll be popping up here and there around the group as time goes on, and she'll even be coming back to join me on the podcast every now and then. Pretty soon you'll get to like her better than you like me, as most people usually do. If you ever have a chance to meet her in person, be sure to say hello, and definitely say thank you. It's because she works so hard as a teacher that I can do things like drop everything and start running a Facebook group full-time with just two weeks' notice. If you enjoy what you hear on the Award Travel 101 podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can get our new episodes coming out each and every week. Also, please take the time to give us a rating or a review. Good reviews will help other listeners find us. Be sure to share with your friends, too. If you love to travel, they probably do, too. Until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.